0: Guardian.co.uk
1: This podcast is produced
2: in association with Guinness, official beer of the RBS Six Nations.
3: Welcome once again to our Guardian Six Nations podcast after a third weekend of tough, hard-fought games. I'm the Guardian's rugby union correspondent, Robert Kitson. Well, we're a little bit clearer now, aren't we? Even Mark Clevermore says England are the best team in the 2011 Championship and on track to win a first title, not to mention a first Grand Slam, in eight years. But let's not forget, France, Wales and Ireland can all still top the table, regardless of their mixed efforts so far. Only Italy and Scotland are out of the running, reduced to fighting amongst themselves to avoid a wooden spoon. With me here in the studio to discuss all this at Guardian HQ, our sports editor Ian Pryor and our resident blogmeister Steve Busfield. Welcome, guys. am. We'll start with a game which could have a decisive impact on the championship outcome, England's win over France at Twickenham. To reflect on that, I'm delighted to say we can say hello to an Englishman abroad in Paris, Dave Ellis, the French defence coach. How are you, Dave? I'm
0: very well, thank you.
3: Good, good. What is the mood in the French squad after Saturday's result? A little bit depressed, I guess. Yeah, a
0: little bit, a little bit. I think we were disappointed as well. Uh, It was a very, very tough contested game and we were a bit unfortunate on several occasions with the bounce of the ball
3: yes I mean it, it, England's forwards stood out though didn't they as as did their defence and they've, they've only conceded what two tries in three games I think have they improved a lot since you beat them in Paris last year
0: I think yeah they've got a much more more all round game now when they played in Paris last year they didn't have a great deal to, to lose and so they tried to try to play an expansive game I think now that what they've got is they've got an all round forward game and the uh, and the threat of the three quarters as well.
3: I mean, is there any sense in France that you were hard done by? the The ref didn't do your guys much, you know, many favours at scrum time, did he? I don't know if Mark Lee Evermore was uh, all that happy afterwards.
0: No, no. I think I think the the several issues with the scrums, with the England front row standing up, and also with uh, with the, the Nick Easter incident right in front of the post in the first half which we, we thought, you know, merited, certainly a yellow
3: card. Yeah, I mean, the scrums are having a, a big impact, aren't they, on on all the matches in this uh, in this tournament?
0: They are indeed, yeah. And I, I think, you know, Andrew Sheridan was a big loss to them, but a, a young fellow that I know quite well, Alex who White coach at London Irish, I thought he had a, a very good game when he came on. Uh,
3: that's a heck of a t- tough ask, isn't it, coming up against Nicolas Mass uh, like that?
0: It certainly is, because, I mean, the the whole of the front row for France are very experienced players, both international and Heineken Cup level, I thought Corby Serreau stood up mm-hmm. very well.
3: Stay with Jabe. I've just asked uh, Steve in the studio here what, what you made of it. It wasn't the prettiest England win in history, but winning ugly
1: is often the sign of a good team, isn't it? Well, the first half was certainly very ugly, uh, with lots of little mistakes uh, around, the, uh, around the breakdown and when you know, England were trying to pass it. But uh, the first five minutes of the second half, it looked as if England were going to be fantastically uh, full of flair. Uh, indeed, where I was watching the game in, uh, in the rugby club in Skipton, where I, uh, where I come from, there was such pandemonium as the, as the second try was scored. And that the BBC score disappeared from the top of the screen. It, we thought it was 21 9 for quite some time after that. But yes, I mean, England are quite efficient in their defence. I mean, there was a, there's a debate on, uh, on Twitter about whether having Tyndall and Harpe playing next to each other in the centres is going to make England you know, much more efficient, much more defensive minded, and, and stop some of the flair. But I think if you've got enough flair around them, when the occasion comes, they will, they will have some flair. So you sound like you debated that long into the night and skipped him by the sound. Of it. It, uh, <laughs> Ian, I mean, the, the French
3: have still got some talented individuals, haven't they? But it, it just didn't happen for them in the second half.
4: Well, a, a scoreless second half is a scoreless second half, no matter how you look at it. But, but I don't really buy into the idea that it was a, you know, it was a particularly dominant England performance. I think, you know, that, as David said, there was a couple of bounces of, of the ball in it. Um, it. It was a game played on very, very fine margins. And you, you always felt it made a very compelling viewing because you... You, you, you never quite knew until quite close to the end who was, who was going to win it. But I, I just wondered, Dave, in hindsight, do, do you think Mark Lievremont slightly regrets that slightly more conservative setup, cha- making as many changes as he did?
0: I think some of the changes were forced on him, really, because uh, several of the players were carrying injuries. And also the fact that uh, Maxime Medal pulled out of the game at our last training session on Friday evening. So Al- Alexis Palisson was a, was a late call-up, you know, which made it a little bit difficult.
3: Yeah, I, I mean, it's, that's never easy, is it? What about all that pre-match stuff, Dave, about England being an insular country? I hope you put Mark right, did you? It did seem to rebound on him somewhat.
0: No, I'm, I'm fairly close to Mark Leavermont, and what, what it was, it was a quote from what the Irish people had said, that they have to, have to match function in Dublin. They wished us all the best in, um, in beating England, yeah. And like everybody else in Europe, you know, we don't like the English, so will you do us a favour? And it was just re-quoting what the Irish people had said. And I think it got tangled up in uh, in all the hostilities and the build-up to the game.
3: Yes, yeah, so see England seem to thrive on that sort of thing, don't they?
0: Thinking yeah, I about, think I'm thinking
3: about back to Gatland and, and Wales and what have you.
0: Most teams do try to catch on to a tag, you know, t- to motivate them. Um, I don't think the, the English players and the English coaching staff took it that seriously anyway.
3: Have to say, fair play to Mark. He came out lovely quote about uh, Churchill and uh, <laughs> success being uh, being you continue to strive in uh, in when, when you're losing. I thought it was a lovely, uh, a lovely quote he came up with at the end. And just finally, Dev, I mean, you've you've played both of them now. Uh, how do you see the the last two rounds going in terms of um, England and Ireland, perhaps meeting in Dublin uh, in, a, in a in a finale at the end? Yeah,
0: I think so. I think Scotland has still got something to offer. I never easy really playing against Scotland because they. Under Andy Robinson they're playing a lot more of an expansive game. And on on occasions, they look quite dangerous against Ireland at the weekend. But as as you said, the game in Dublin will um, be—that's a very, very difficult place to go and win. And the the uh, Irish—they always are very tough over there, and they're they're defending quite well. And I think they'll cause problems, uh, certainly, certainly, at the ruck and the breakdown for England.
3: But France, you you should you know still win your last two matches, shouldn't you? So you're still very much in the sh- In the in oh yeah,
0: we yeah, we've got we've got um, Italy away, which um, we always do well in Italy, and if we can um, put some p- points on the board there, and then we've got Wales in the last game, and that you know depending on what happens in um, Ireland, it could be uh, it could be all there pl- for us to play for.
3: Yeah, absolutely. Well, good luck with it, David. Thank you very much for joining us, and uh, as I say, good luck for the rest of the tournament.
0: OK, no problem. Thank you very much.
3: Well, now, Ian, let's talk a little bit more about Ireland. They, they scored three tries to nil against Scotland and still nearly lost. They're giving away a, a worrying number of penalties, though, aren't they?
4: I think watching Ireland at the moment is this incredibly frustrating experience. Three tries to nil against Scotland, three tries to one against France, um, lost one and did their level best to lose the the next one. Um, they, they've got this amazing, the annoying habit of playing well for kind of 10-15 fifteen-minute stretches, then completely switching off. They're lurching between extremes, and the discipline is just terrible. Thirteen penalties to four against Scotland, and in three games now, that's thirty-four penalties conceded against France. Seven of those were in scoring positions. You know they've really got to get a handle on this because they're they're killing themselves. Mm. You know it's it's by no means entirely negative for them. You st- you could still see a way that they could beat England in Dublin, but not giving that amount of penalties away, certainly not.
1: And all those fouls, you you sort of you can't really feel very sorry for them. It's not as if they don't deserve them. You, you keep on watching them in the in the ruck and they're people are putting their hands on the ball it's the blindingly obvious penalties so often they're trying to play on the edge aren't they but it's as you say it's
3: it's it's when and where you do that I think is the problem I I mean fair play to Ronan O'Gara his experience made a difference at crucial moments didn't it but uh, I don't know what you what you thought about uh, his his input uh, Ian
4: I I think it's an an instructive comparison this season to look at England and Ireland, both of whom have changed over to younger, fresher, dare we say, (laughs) better-looking fly halves. Um, (laughs) Is that
3: that the criteria now?
4: (laughs) <laughs> probably not we should just throw it in there um, but, but, but you, look, you look at England Floods come in played remarkably well and part of the reason he's played remarkably well and with such confidence is that Wilkinson who's been dropped shuts up about it he's got on with his job he's, come, he's came, came on and played really important roles in two games running now and he's you know he's absolutely exemplary O'Gara since the minute he's been dropped has been this this constant whinge in the ear of the coach and the ear of the press about what you know the, the unjustness of it all always always hinting Sexton's not quite good enough always hinting that Ireland do Better when he comes on, and yeah, it's right sometimes they do, but it, but it can't be helping the confidence of a young player like Sexton to, have, to be constantly belittled by someone who's you know your team's record point scorer.
3: Yeah. No, it, it works two ways, doesn't it? Either it's good competition for a position, healthy competition, or that instability in a, such a key position has a, has, has as, that as
4: any good to- coach would tell you, healthy competition needs to be internalized within a squad. The constant bleating about it really helps no one.
3: Mm. No, Steve, I mean, Scotland they came close didn't they but three defeats out of three tells its own story have they been remotely
1: unlucky not really I mean they look much better organized and they came very close but you know but the reason they came very close was was as we were talking about before the Irish in discipline uh, and giving away all of those penalties uh, it's interesting that Ireland's brought in O'Gara and, and dropped Sexton and meanwhile Scotland were doing things the other way around. And you did think that after Parks came on that Scotland looked much better and you did wonder whether the Irish would have got those tries that were sort of around the edge of the uh, of the ruck if they'd been better organised around the... It's a uh, tough
4: call for Andy Robinson because Parks was disastrous the last day against Wales. He, he fully deserved to be dropped. It's, I mean, clearly they haven't got a lot in reserve there.
1: Yeah, I mean, and the question is, when do you blood uh, new halfbacks? You know, this is probably about the only time you're going to do it before the World Cup.
3: I mean, he's got a real
1: tough decision for for Twickenham, I have to say, because you'd think it's a
3: Park sort of match. To be honest, to if, be. if Scotland are going to get anything out of that, you know, Rory Jackson is a promising young player, but he's exactly that—he's a promising young player—and uh, I, th- I think that might be a it's bit tricky. V-
4: it's very likely that Scotland will go to Twickenham looking to play a more expansive game than they did at the weekend. Yeah. So you'd have to think Parks.
3: Yeah. Okay. Well, we'll see. I mean, uh, both of you have, have you seen anything in this tournament which will frighten the
1: Southern Hemisphere teams? <laughs> not a huge <laughs> amount. Got to a be straight said. I mean, are they, the England England have played uh, better this season than they have at any point in the last since the last World Cup. So they're going to go to the World Cup with slightly more chance. I'm not sure that France have done anything that uh, is going to be worrying the Southern Hemisphere nations and the other countries. You know, Wales and Ireland, Scotland, all look okay, but you know, but that's at best.
4: You think if there's one thing that will worry them, it's England's capacity for progress between now and now and October. You know, the the, the team that always worries you is the team on an upward curve, and there's certainly that. The, you know, the, the performances have been progressively better in three games in this tournament. I think we'll see. I mean, Dublin will tell you an awful lot if they win and win well in Dublin. They're going to go into the World Cup with a hell of a lot of momentum, but it's it's by no means set in stone. They'll do that.
3: I mean, Martin Johnson clearly will tell you not to look beyond the. Next match, what do you give for Scotland's chances of beating England at Twickenham in the Calcutta Cup?
4: You always give Scotland a chance at home. Looking at that team, you'd be very much less inclined to do so at Twickenham, even if they do set up defensively, and you and you imagine they will. The kind of the way England's forwards are playing at the moment means even that will be a case of damage limitation rather than any genuine ambition to win the game.
3: No, it's mean Scotland are strong in the lineup, Steve, but uh, you've got to put it together across the park.
1: I think to beat. England at the moment. Yeah, Gray had a fantastic game in the uh, the line-out, didn't he? In fact, a fantastic game all round. I mean, I think Scotland's best chance is to keep it as a a low-scoring game and hope that... uh, I mean, I I think I agree with Ian that they will pick uh, Parks for, for that game and, you know, hope that he can kick enough points. We shall see. And so do Wales, who didn't have it all their
3: own way against Italy and Rome. To give us his thoughts, who would be better qualified than the great Wales scrum half, Gareth Edwards? Are you there, Gareth?
2: Yes, I am, indeed.
3: Fantastic. I mean, in Italy uh, at the weekend, there were a couple of decent tries for for Wales, but it could have been a horror story, couldn't it?
2: Certainly. I think we were all concerned about that um, prior to the game, uh, having seen the... uh, Huge uh, effort by uh, by Italy against uh, Ireland. Of course, they'd been overrun by England, but I think, as we all know, they're a different proposition in their own backyard, and uh, and so it proved to be. Wales played pretty well for the first half, uh, scored some good tries, but uh, the second half was a different matter altogether.
3: Yeah, I mean, would you agree with our, our man at the game that Wales only seem to really hit top form for about 20 minutes a game at the moment, don't they?
2: Uh, yes, it seems like that. Um, and uh, I, I don't quite understand uh, why that should be the case. It's, it's certainly not their fitness, but they seem to sort of lose their way. They had great momentum. They were pretty decisive. And uh, they scored some very, very good tries in that first half. And certainly in the first 20 minutes, everything looked to be moved at pace. But in the second half, they seem to sort of allow, if that's the right word, <laughs> because you've got to give Italy some credit. Um, it, Italy dominated the play and uh, you know when when the opposition keeps the ball you find it very very difficult sometimes to uh, to get repossession Wales played into a pretty stiff breeze in the second half but that certainly wasn't the main reason why uh, we failed to, to really uh, carry on from the first half's uh, promise
3: no, Absolutely I, 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 we can't get too gloomy because obviously Wales can still win the title can't they but uh, what would you most be concerned about if you were in Warren Gatlin's shoes? Uh,
2: the the fact that uh, you, you've hinted at it, the fact that Wales really can't drive home uh, uh, their early sort of uh, possession and early form. You'd like to think that uh, they're uh, very experienced. They're more than capable of opening anybody up, but they don't seem to be able to maintain the uh, the pressure. And, uh, and of course, uh, international rugby these days really is about more than a 20-minute effort, certainly at the beginning of the game, because... Uh, it, it seems as if everybody's more or less up for, for for the whole duration these days. You know, fitness is rarely a, uh, an issue anymore, but I'm more concerned really in the tactical way that Wales played. Uh, I mean, they kicked away quite a bit of possession and, and kicked away poorly, and if you look back at the last three games, they did that against England, and they did it very much uh, against Scotland also, uh, but... Uh, uh, you've got to sort of uh, make the most of your uh, opportunities at the international level, as we know full well. And uh, if you don't, then you can become a cropper even against teams uh, mm. um, like my, Italy. My, and I don't wish to be disrespectful because I thought they played very, very well indeed.
3: No, absolutely. So so what do we think about Wales against Ireland then in Cardiff uh, next 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 game up?
2: Um, right. I, I think that, well, <laughs> without stating the obvious, yes. it, it, it's a different proposition whatsoever. The, the, the Welsh boys know... The majority of the Irish boys, because of the, uh, well, and as indeed they did know the Italians. These uh, after after this year's uh, Celtic League, uh, Magnus League uh, involvement, but they do know the Irish boys much much better, having played against them, and of course having a, uh, a on, long um, on the Lions as well. Experience of having played with some of these guys on the, on the Lions tour. Uh, I think it could be a cracking game. Uh, Wales really uh, don't have to fear Ireland. Uh, that's to say that. Uh, that uh, they, they will be quite capable of beating Ireland. But having said that, the Irish are pretty dogged at the moment and, uh, and of course, are artists at, uh, at killing the ball. Wales' uh, <laughs> approach will be a far more sort of running game, but uh, I can see the Irish obviously trying to nullify them.
3: You can see that, can't you? I mean, if they do win Wales, it would open up the prospect for another great test, wouldn't it, on the final weekend against the French in the Stade de France. I, I don't know what your favourite memory of playing in Paris is.
2: <laughs> <laughs> well, fortunately, we did have uh, our moments. Uh, but indeed, playing in France, you never really know how uh, how the French will perform. Well, we tend to say that uh, on most occasions. But uh, if the French are in full flow, they can be, you know, a match for anybody in the world. Uh, Wales really have to approach uh, Ireland first of all, try and get a result there. And as you rightly said, then it can all go down to the wire. Uh, England, of course, are in the ascendancy. They're the favourites for the Grand Slam and, and the Championship. But, you know, with a few games to go, you can never tell in the Six Nations. I think that's why everybody enjoys it so much. Some teams are playing better than others at the moment, but there's not a great deal between them when it really comes to the nit crit.
3: No, absolutely. So, I mean, if we really had to pin you down and said, look, well, Wales is going to come good in these last couple of games, what would you, what would you say?
2: I would like to think they will be beating uh, Ireland uh, due to the fact that it's at Ar- Ar- Cardiff. I still think they've got uh, a big mountain to climb, uh, France in Paris. I wouldn't exactly say that would be overwhelming favourites there. But, of course, they have performed well on the last few occasions. But, uh, really, I think... I felt at the beginning of this season, the championship would more or less be shared. There wouldn't be a Grand Slam winner. England's still got a point to prove, but I'm still far from convinced that there's going to be any outright winners. So I think it might be... One win, one loss for Wales, and, and possibly uh, something similar for the rest of the teams as well.
3: Oh, we shall see. It's a, it's a great uh, prospect. Anyway, Gareth Edwards, thank you very much for joining us. Really, kind of, really kind of you. Thanks a lot.
2: Pleasure.
3: Ian, I don't know if you agree with Gareth, but Wales could definitely have lost in Rome. And, and let's not forget Italy almost beat Ireland on the opening weekend. Uh, was that England game just an aberration for Italy?
4: I think there's essentially two mindsets with Italy, and um, it's not just home in a way. It's it's playing England or France or playing anyone else. They, they they certainly smell blood when when they play the Celtic nations, particularly in Rome. And they know that if they can drag them into their kind of game, their kind of nasty little dog fight, um, that they, that they're, they're easy to suck into that kind of game. And they've, they've done it very successfully with Ireland and Wales now. And I think, as you pointed out in the paper this morning, you know, for want of a good kicker, they've won that.
3: Mm. No, it, it, I mean it is interesting at, at home you wouldn't see a more passionate team in the first 20 minutes either than italy amongst all the nations you know they've they've been they're, they're just a completely different different side i mean steve
1: you'd still take france to win in rome though wouldn't you despite all all that passion Well yes probably I mean I I think what uh, Ian says is true that you know that that there is a a different mindset where they think they've got a chance but I mean but uh, I mean Wales and Ireland have both come in for a bit of a kicking for their performances in uh, against the uh, Italians but actually I think the Italians have uh, have improved a lot I mean their their pack uh, Castro Giovanni and Paris have both been very good in their pack they're well organised they keep the game tight and you know but having said that I think France will probably beat them. Yeah, no, well, that's probably the best. I mean, gentlemen, it, it's
3: been a pretty good, interesting tournament all round, isn't it so far? I, I, maybe not if you're listening to this in Scotland. But your overall impressions of the tournament?
1: Yeah, but I mean, even if you're a Scottish fan, I mean, you know, they've been competitive. They've they've been in with a shout in their matches. I mean, they've they it was pretty close on, on uh, against uh, against Ireland. They were only one kick away.
4: I think it's been pretty. It's been. A, f- a pretty competitive tournament, hasn't it? You know, I mean, there's the, the, I don't think there's one outstanding team. England, you say, are the noses in front of the moment. But, you know, y- you'd be a brave man to go betting any houses on them, wouldn't you? Yeah. But that's, that's what the Six Nations should be. You know, there's probably less of a gap between top and bottom than we've seen for a few years now, um, which... Although it might not make for great World Cup prospects, does make for a very healthy tournament.
3: Yeah, absolutely, and they've been enjoying it in Skipton anyway. That's the good news. Anyway, I think we can guarantee that the last two weekends will give us plenty to talk about. Uh, we'll be back with another show on Tuesday the 15th of March. But for now, thanks again to my two studio guests, Ian Pryor and Steve Busfield, and to our producer, Tim Mabey. I'm Robert Kitson. Goodbye and thanks for listening.
2: For more great downloads, go to guardian.co.uk forward slash audio.
3: Visit our special website to win tickets for you and your mates, plus watch player videos and join in live web chats at guardian.co.uk slash guinness-rugby-2011. Get your mates together for a Guinness, this RBS Six
2: Nations.